This is a Suno India production and you are listening to Beyond Charmina. Hello everyone, uh thank you all for joining another episode of Beyond Charminar. This is your host Yunus Lasania and for this month's episode in fact uh, there were a whole bunch of controversies in the last few weeks which I thought I should probably you know sit and think about just to give you some context uh Mr Asaduddin Owaisi the Hyderabad Lok Sabha parliamentarian from the AIMIM said he has no love for the old Usmania University Usmania Hospital heritage building which more or less indirectly uh, meant that even if it is gone it would not matter in that sense but i, I don't know if you are all up to speed there has been an, an ongoing issue of the usmania hospital being asked to be brought down by a section of people so the case is going on in the high court but the other important issue that i think many of us have also read about uh, this time is the king koti palace and i think there's some kind of renewed interest because not a lot of people know that the last nizam of hyderabad usman ali khan actually lived and died in what we know as the king koti palace which is in king koti the area itself and which is very close in fact uh, to abid's cafe bahar just to give you all some context as to where it is uh, is also very close to the saint joseph's cathedral the issue here is that the nazri bagh palace trust which ran the place or took care of the place as essentially sold it to give you all more context why it became why it blew up into such a big thing is that the nazri bagh palace trust sold it to a builder uh niharika constructions private limited or whatever the name is for in case if i get it wrong that sale took place apparently long long ago for several crores which even i am not sure how much some news reports said 300 i mean doesn't matter it's irrelevant at this point to us uh but the other important thing was that there's one more case from bombay that suddenly came up a couple of years ago where apparently it was found by the uh, uh bombay police that or the maharashtra police that two ex directors or two ex officials from niharika construction apparently sold it without the company's knowledge to a third company to a third construction company called amla from i sorry sorry irish constructions from kashmir so now you have three parties and then there is another uh, party involved uh, which claims to have ownership of the place so why essentially what happens is that a couple of few i think two weeks or something ago about 100 gundas basically landed up at the king koti palace and this was a few days after the nazri bagh palace trust formally handed over the palace ownership to niharika constructions so the gundas apparently came at the behest of one mr sukesh gupta who claimed ownership so you have the nazri bagh palace trust which basically is run by different a trust comprising of some i believe also some people uh, from the last nizam's family you have niharika constructions you have iris and then you have sukesh gupta so in between all of this khichdi i think you can just read the news reports we have uh, today with us my former colleague from the hindu sirish nanishetty who is the city editor for hyderabad and who is basically wrote the story about what happened in king koti palace after which the special chief secretary arvind kumar uh, put out a tweet saying that uh, this government went and uh, checked the sorry the sirish sorry sirish's tweet sirish's story essentially mentioned that or said that the construction company which purchased or which has possession of the palace today was uh, taking down the uh, palace or it was 
basically moving it down or whatever have to however you think of it but the company has by the way claimed that it is not going to demolish the palace so after the report on of the demolition came out the gmc of gmc officials were sent to inspect what happened they said that though there was no lawn mower found inside they saw marks uh, by an earth mover sorry my bad i meant to say earth mover uh, there were this the officials mentioned that though the though they could not find they found marks of an earth mover inside but so far status quo palace is still intact see the thing is here is the kicker the original palace has been more or less lost we only have some traces of or one part of the palace that is left uh, so i thought you know apart from the palace i'll give you all actually a proper view of what the palace is and also who usman ali khan the last nizam is i believe because we've not actually sat down and ever discussed who the last nizam of hyderabad actually was because very interesting character very shrewd character so for those of you who are who are here for the first time hyderabad is 430 something years old the city was founded in 1591 with uh the charminar as its foundation by mohammad kuli qutub shah the fourth king of the golconda dynasty the golconda dynasty which first constructed the golconda fort built hyderabad after the fort was not enough so from 1518 to 1591 you had the golconda fort which functioned as a walled city after which they moved into hyderabad and hyderabad was eventually taken over and completely destroyed by uh uh the mughals or under aurangzeb in 1687 so just to give you some context of who the nizams were the first nizam grandfather and father kalich khan and uh, muzaff sorry no so his name firoz jang firoz ghaziuddin firoz jang were actually part of aurangzeb's armies that destroyed hyderabad in the last war between golconda and the mughals so the first nizam's grandfather in fact dies and he is buried in near himayat sagar and how the nizams came to be the governors eventually were that after taking over golconda the mughals had not only possession of hyderabad but the entire golconda state which extended all the way to down till north tamil nadu so basically they appointed one governor sitting in aurangabad to take care of central and south india so that governor was the nizam the nizam the word nizam actually stands for kya bolte subedar so after 1687 what you have essentially is different governors who are appointed as governors of the deccan by the mughals and 1724 is when the first nizam kamaruddin khan essentially comes down from delhi uh, to aurangabad because he more or less does not see to put it very simply he he just he sees a better future down south so he comes he comes to aurangabad aurangabad kills the existing governor mubariz khan and takes over so the first nizam sits in aurangabad until 1748 when he dies uh there's actually a lot more that happens in between which i'm going to skip so i would highly recommend that you go back to the podcast episode and read uh, listen to the others but what happens is eventually under the second nizam by 1765 or around that period is when uh the second nizam shifts the capital from aurangabad to hyderabad and that is when the nizams come back or settle in hyderabad now from 1760 se leke up to the late 19th century you have the second and the you have like second to like a sixth nizam tak is when you have 1911 is when the sixth nizam dies his son and the last nizam usman ali khan is who we are concerned with today this gentleman was born in 1886 so um, usman ali khan ka political history i believe we have gotten into in the operation polo episodes especially with discussions with sirish and others 
today we'll actually focus only on Usman Ali Khan and the Kingkoti Palace. So I will actually hand over uh, the discussion. I'll push the discussion towards Sirish, who I think will be in a better position to talk about the Kingkoti Palace because Sirish is very old. Okay. Because Sirish is very old also and who's seen Hyderabad change in the last 30 years or so. So, uh, yeah, Sirish, please, please tell us what is left of the King Koti Palace, what happened, what it used to be. And now what do you think if it is going to get destroyed like any other palace in Hyderabad that exists? Also, just FYI, the King Koti Palace was not made by the Nizams. It was uh, handed over to them by one gentleman called Kamal Khan. So, Sirish will explain further. So, when we talk about uh, Usman Ali Khan's reign and uh, we talk about the Asabjai dynasty, the Asabjai dynasty predominantly ruled from within the walled city of Hyderabad. Usman Ali Khan made a break from that when he moved his residence to uh, Nazari Bagh. And this is not one palace, this is a palace complex which, in, which had three palaces. One of them is called Mubarak Mansions, uh, which they are trying to destroy now. Then there is another palace called Usman Mansions, which was brought down some time back and now there is a hospital there. And there is a thing called King Koti, which was the palace complex which uh, the Nizam's father, Mabubali Pasha, acquired from Kamal Khan. So all these uh, three palaces... Uh, occupied a space of some 30 acres. And in the, during the last stages of uh, Nizam's life and career, he made, made, mainly functioned from Mubarak mansions. Uh, I'll give you an idea of how the king, how Usman Ali Khan functioned. I'll give you a, a thing from, uh, an art, uh, from a book written by uh, D.F. Karaka called Fabulous Mughal. So he describes Nizam and his lifestyle at the during the last stages of his life. So uh, over to what I, what Karaka writes. I'm reciting now. Even after police action, the Nizam retains two units of 1,200 guards each, which form part of the household bodyguard. These guards perform duties not only in the palace but at various points on his personal estate. All this time, the Nizam is in his office, which is in reality only a chair on the veranda of the part of the palace which he uses, Nazri Bagh. The palace is King Koti. Nazri Bagh is one portion of it. It is on the veranda that he does all his day's work. As he opens his mail himself, he has much to cope with. He does not believe in a table and writes his farmans on a pad resting on his knee. Opposite him stands a guard called a Jawan. There are eight of these who do duty to him. The Jawan is a bodyguard in the literal sense of the word. He never moves from his position opposite the Nizam. On the right of the His Excellency Highness, two other men stand on duty. One of them runs errands all over the palace, taking messages to the various officials who work in palace, various parts of the palace, or making telephone calls as His Excellency directs. The other flunky is a Saki or a water bearer. All he has to do is fetch water for his master. Whether it is for drinking or washing hands. The Saki is a full-time job. His exalted highness has the habit of washing his hands on the slightest provocation. Each time he touches a piece of paper which he has come from outside, even from his own page's office, his personal secretary, he feels it necessary to send for a finger ball to rinse his finger. So use the other Sakas of 
whom there are eight doing duty in turn to his way that the instinctive you know the sort of correspondence which will he will want to wash off when he does when he's done with it he has only to make a small sound for his attendants to know what he wants so this is the palace complex this is how the uh, ruler usman ali khan functioned from uh, his palace the palace which they are trying to bring down the mubarak mansion to show you how important is this mansion let uh, i we have a list of the immovable properties belonging to the nizam the first property is that of his uh, mother's um ashur khana which he built called aza khana zaira the next one is nazri bagh or mubarak mansion the third one is usman mansion which is gone the fourth one is king koti mansion king koti mubarak the uh, the fifth one is uh, mosque judi where he is buried the other palaces which he like come much later down and in the initial correspondence which he had with the indian government he wanted to keep three palaces for himself one is the chaumala palace one is the nazri bagh the third one is the falaknuma palace so these three palaces came to be owned by the nizam who formed a a uh, trust at the end of police action Cre- he found he created dozens of trusts and one of the trusts is the uh, nazri bagh trust and this trust sold the property uh the t- procedure to sell this property was going on right from 2011 when there was an initial movement and there was news about the sale of the property and uh, one uh, jeweler Uh, a company of jewelers actually said they are buying the property from that 2011 the story has been going on with all its twists and turns and all that only in on march 24th or 25th the new company called niharika constructions or investments or whatever it is said they have bought the palace and along with it there was a small uh, story about a civil dispute where some thugs entered the building and the police were called in and the police wanted to solve the case and then the high court said nothing doing this is a civil case you don't get involved so while this was going on i happened to uh, reach a high building overlooking the palace and i saw the palace was being brought down from the rear using an earth mover there is a line of neem trees and the neem trees blocked the view completely but i could see uh, the yellow dot of the moving earth mover and the thud of a large wall collapsing and a dust uh, rising from the ground which led me to write the story and which led to the state government getting involved and even the ghmc people when they visited the site they noticed the tracks of arthmoos and the destruction of the rear portion of the palace the destruction of the rear portion of the palace can be easily seen from satellite images and it has been carried over uh, from the time of the beginning of covid pandemic and it uh, it became more brazen only over the last few days and now there is a stoppage of the work uh, we really don't know what is going to happen now. yeah i mean that is essentially also what i guess in a way puts also the same question for a lot of other buildings in hyderabad right also which 
should have been saved which don't exist anymore and which can be saved but which may not exist anymore like for example the government's couple of years ago was intent on uh, raising down the irram manzil people went to court and they saved it so in this particular case also i think temporarily for now it's saved so we don't know what's going to happen so more importantly let's come to usman ali khan uh, for now usman ali khan in for those of you who haven't gone through the older uh, for example i have done an episode on the usmania hospital and the plague and etc etc this man comes into power in 1911 and in 1912 so in and the same year there are cases of the plague that are reported in hyderabad and 1912 the government of hyderabad actually sets up something called the city improvement board uh, through which they literally develop or modernize hyderabad to a certain to a large extent for example you know the usmania hospital Yunani Hospital, High Court, City College, uh, Kachiguda Railway Station, and much later the Mozam Jahi Market, and lo- and a lot of slum redevelopment was all done in a matter of a uh, couple of decades, through which they really modernized Hyderabad. Hyderabad becomes uh, from this very provincial city to a very modernized city in about two, three decades, I guess, until the late 1930s. You have the uh, Begumpet Airport, which was earlier part of Deccan Airways, which. Um, is which also says something about the city so usman ali khan in a way or not in a way usman ali khan literally developed modern hyderabad so that is why his time is also important but his uh, if but aside from all this if you also you also need to look at the political aspect so i think for most parts he is remembered as the as the one of the people who refused to join india or pakistan after 1948 so this is a very fairly complex thing that happened uh for for the for those of you who are unaware hyderabad was one of the last few states that was annexed to india in 1948 the indian government sent its army and on september 17th 1948 is when hyderabad was annexed to india the this is a shorter version the longer version is of course a lot deeper because you had the telangana arms struggle which also i have done an up when episode on and then you had the razakars and then you had the congress and then and then you know all of this happened at the same time but today we'll go a little bit more personal into uh, usman ali khan's life so I, i don't know if you all know this but so my his my interest in hyderabad history also came actually only after uh, i started looking at things closely and for uh, usman ali khan's life was the first thing that i actually wrote about deeply when i uh, met people who knew him and i interviewed them for an article on his 50th anniversary I believe this is 2017. I guess yes. So the usual narrative that we hear of Usman Ali Khan is that he is a miser, did not spend money on things. So it's a very funny thing. Uh, I personally would not say that Usman Ali Khan was a miser, miser in that sense. But he had a few quirks for the for, as somebody who was the last Nizam of Hyderabad. He there was there are stories of him not spending on small small things, or basically unwilling to what we call what we would ideally call wasting money. but you wouldn't expect this kind of behavior from the world just by the way he was the world's richest man in 2000 in 1937 or 38 he appeared on the cover of time magazine so you can actually gauge the amount of money he had i leave the personality part to sirish who can probably say a little bit more about usman ali khan because he's been writing about the city from so long we actually don't know much about usman ali khan because he has not left any of his he has not created a memoir of his own all the uh, information that comes to us comes through secondary sources like for example even the name nazri bag and i'm told that it's it was uh, given by two women as nazar 
and those two women were uh, descendants of Sarajan. So I really don't know unless we have a document to prove that we really don't know. Usman Ali Khan might as well have bought it and built the palace wherever he built. But we really don't know. And uh, even the Kamal Khan is a legend kind of a thing. It's a legend which is there, which might be true, which may not be true. We really don't know. How much money did he pay to acquire the property from Kamal Khan? I really don't know. I would like to know, but I don't know. And one of the banes of uh, journalism and uh, uh, Indian history writing is to put a person on pedestal or to trample him underfoot. And I think Usman Ali Khan is the one who got the bad deal in this because of the reason that he held on to his independence for much longer than other princely states. That is one reason. The other reason could be he was a Muslim ruler in a predominantly Hindu country and this atmosphere has not been created overnight. It has been there for a long time. And if you see, for example, uh, if you read um, Freedom at Midnight by Larry Collins and uh, Dom Dominic Lapierre, you will realize how they paint Usman Ali Khan as a miser who would pick up stubs of cigarettes left behind by others and smoke them. So you, we usually would, I would, I used to imagine, yes, he might have done it. But we just need to put one fact to that what uh, these authors have said. That is, the filter cigarettes are ones which people throw with a little longer stub. And filter cigarettes came much, much later than Osman Ali Khan. And even one of the things is that he wore the same cap all through his life. And it was tattered or torn and he wore very ordinary slippers. So the, here is the irony of it. Uh, Usman Ali Khan's father was a real dandy who really led a luxurious, ultra-luxurious life where he never wore a suit twice and he never wore his shoes twice. He got tailors flown in from abroad to get his clothes stitched. And he was one of the first ones to wear a sherwani. And he was uh, a good shot with a gun. And um, he really had eclectic taste with, uh, with his food, with, his, um, with, uh, with the jewelry he acquired. His reputation was so wide that a trader from London actually came to sell him the Jacob's Diamond because he realized this is a wealthy man and he'll buy it. So when something like that happens, Mahavali Pasha was seen as a very rich person who was living and the British were worried that he was living behind his means. And the same situation flipped over when uh, Usman Ali Khan came. They realized this man is not living according to his status and stature. So once you reach that conclusion, you really try to find a lot of evidence to back up that claim. And that led to all this commentary about him wearing old clothes, old hat and smoking, stubbed cigarettes and all. We have to remember that Osman Ali Khan was born in 1886 and he lived till 1967 and he died within this palace. And that's a very long life. And by the end of his life, he had a stoop. He had a hunch and 
he was a he used uh, opium and uh, but it didn't mean that he was uh, zoned out he was never zoned out if you want to really know he was not zoned out you had to understand the complex negotiations he carried out with the indian government using uh, sir walter monckton as an intermediary in 1948 he knew every move and uh, possible step that the indian government is going to take and he planned accordingly this is not the mind of a drug addict who is zoned out no it is not it he was a very smart astute clever man though he may be may have been a miser considering his circumstances uh consider cons- circumstances in the sense he was very rich he didn't want to appear rich so i don't want to go into a personal judgment a lot of people go into the personal judgment and say he lived like a miser pauper whatever it's not for us to judge somebody who lived at a different point of time and there's another aspect to usman ali khan that he had lot of treasure and he would rarely check uh, what all is there like for example when in the some 20 years back when an inventory was made of the bow mansion there were bottles of chandelier uh unfortunately all the alcohol had evaporated so they were not useful then there were boxes of bow ties and there were boxes of uh books some of which were later transported to falaknuma palace and now they might you can see them in the falaknuma palace library where asif arastu zain is the librarian and so this is a fabled kingdom this is a fabled story lot of fables go about it the only truth about mehu mansion is that it it is still a beautiful palace uh, recently somebody sent me images of the palace they are stunning because the architectural style is very unique it's very different uh, it has a ceiling uh, painted ceiling which was very surprising for me to notice and at a time when we are restoring the residency building why are we ignoring the palace built by uh the last nizam who was uh, who merged his kingdom with india and who was the raj from up till 1956 that is interesting and i didn't know some of that but uh, but yeah that's about it so you know it's not just about the king koti palace or not just about i mean you know it's like this monument i, I mean i guess i we call it a monument is also incorrect because it's it not a monument turn into a library yeah turn into an archive because it turn into a repository of information for the life of nizam which the future generation yeah exactly because i don't think in hyderabad see for example as much as we don't have much from the golconda period we have the kutubshahi tomb which still where you have like a ma- massive place where we can remember the golconda kings we have of course the the chaumahalla palace and we even have the uh, uh the nizam's museum but we don't actually have like a place where any people can just go simply learn about the last nizam and their families or basically about what even happened this is it's actually a like sharif said it's a great opportunity for anybody to simply uh turn that into something a lot more meaningful for the city also i believe this is something that uh, can be easily done because this is what sharif and i even also were talking about to other people about <clears throat> how the state government has restored the british residency the british residency which is now in the king court sorry in the koti women's college premises is the is the main is the uh, what do you call it? 
is what the Britishers built after signing an agreement with the Nizams, with the second Nizam specifically in 1798. Ah, exactly. The the British residency was also financed by the Nizam then itself, and it was handed over to Usmania University. After which, it was turned into the King Koti or Koti Women's College after 1950s. My point is now they've actually restored it. You can actually go online book. book a visit by paying 100 rupees or 50 rupees as student or whatever and you can go and that's how you access heritage that's how you access information that's how you go see a place you turned into something of of major value like imagine now city like hyderabad now you have the golconda fort badshah ashurkhana charminar etc now we can also add the british residency to that list now as a place which people can go and fun and, and you know and see similarly people should also be able to go to the kingoti palace it's it could have been something great it could have been something brilliant but uh, unfortunately that's all there is to it if you also by the way have not been to the british residency i would recommend that you definitely visit that place uh, it was in fact uh, done by the state government with in association with the world monument fund and i believe uh, author william dalrymple who's who's written white mughals which is about the love story of James Achilles Kirkpatrick the then british resident who uh, got the building who I believe was the resident who signed the treaty with the nizams right in 1798 yeah it's a love story between him and khairunisa he written about that part so if you have not also i would recommend that you see the place but more importantly for all of for those of you who are still from hyderabad who have not seen the king koti palace just pass by it you can still what the, the outer portion that you can see today is what we call the is what is called the parda gate so that is what you can see uh it's a very tiny part of it that is visible so thank you all for all the tuning in this and i hope that better sense prevails about this and i hope that the king koti palace maybe if not demolished is at least preserved in some way or the other if at all if we get more information about uh what plans are there for the palace in the future i will definitely put out more information for that as well so yeah thank you all for tuning in and please as i always say try and visit more and more places in hyderabad it's always great to learn thank you for listening to this episode of beyond channel you can listen to more episodes on our website sunoindia.in or on any other podcast app of your choice